Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Evoke Cast. I'm your host, Scott Johnston, co-author of Training for the New Optimism and Training for the Uphill Athlete, and um, one of the principals here at Evoke Endurance. Um, and so I want to talk a little bit today about some of the most common and also the most detrimental training mistakes I see. Um, in many cases, they're made repeatedly by people. Um, so I'm hoping that by laying these out and, and explaining them and maybe categorize them, categorizing them, I can help folks avoid these pitfalls. Um, despite having co-authored a couple of books on how to train, I often joke that I could write another book called How Not to Train. So this is a lead into my saying that what that listing all the mistakes that I and others have made in their own training and as coaches would end up probably being a book of similar length to training for the new alpinism or or uphill athlete. Um, but I hope to have laid these out in, in a convincing way so that you can understand, you know, in those books, I try to explain how to train. Well, here's some things I think you should really avoid. I'm paraphrasing the great running coach Renato Canova when he conveys one of the most fundamental truths in training with this simple bit of wisdom. While there are just a few ways to make an athlete faster, there are many ways to make an athlete slower. So while there's plenty of ways that we can screw up our training, I don't actually think I could fill a 400-page book with them, let alone convince Patagonia to publish it. So instead, I've decided to concentrate in this podcast on a treatment of just a few of the most common mistakes I've seen over the years. And I'm, I'm a firm believer that we do learn the most when we make mistakes, um, if we're prepared to learn from them. And experienced coaches have a, a whole little, a little catalog, actually, of training mistakes that they've made, whether they'll own up to it or not. Um, and I've owned up to mine in the past about some of the mistakes I made early in my coaching career that really taught me some serious lessons, kept me awake at night. Um, and it's that experience that helps a coach and their uh, helps a coach help their athletes avoid those pitfalls. And I feel some of the most important things a coach can offer an athlete um, are really, I'm going to list them below. Um, and you, it's really tough to coach yourself, actually. And it, it it's not self-evident that that should be the case, but there's several reasons I think that often aren't apparent to newcomers to athletic training, and especially if you've never used a coach. First and probably the simplest one to, to understand is you may actually lack a coherent training philosophy or an understanding of training theory. There's certainly plenty of coaches that even fall into this category. But both of those, whether you, you lack either the understanding or having a coherent philosophy or an understanding of training theory, both of those reasons that um, I've spilled, those are the reasons I've spilled so much ink explaining these uh, all these various concepts in the books and on, on websites and in podcasts with people. Another, another common reason that it's difficult to coach yourself is you're highly motivated, but you really may not understand how stoke can become compulsion. And compulsion is can lead into a downward spiral in, in, both, your fit, in both your mental and physical well-being. Um, and a third reason that it's difficult to coach yourself is that your depth of emotional involvement and, and investment in what you're doing for training can very easily cloud your judgment. It's really hard to step back and be removed from that. Um, and maybe one of the another simple reason, I'm sure there are more to this list, but I'm just going to name the biggies that popped into my brain when I was writing this out, is that you're undertaking an N of one experiment. I mean, you're both the lab rat and the scientist in this case, and it's pretty darn hard to separate those two um, positions and be rational about it. 
So my hope in this talk is that by taking a few minutes to cover some of the mistakes that, that I've seen, that I can save some people, hopefully many people, um, grief and wasted time, potential injury and illness that often accompany these mistakes. So I'm going to start off with mistake number one, and that is a disconnect between your current fitness level and your intended short-term goal. It's great to have long-term goals, but often people come to me or our coaches with sort of urgent short-term goals. And goals are important. And, you know, and conceiving the idea is certainly the first step in actualizing it. But just because you suddenly decide you're going to run a race or climb a mountain in two months does not mean that you're going to be ready. Developing fitness takes time, lots of time, actually. Despite the best efforts of Hollywood and social media and YouTube and what I euphemistically call the fitness industry, you just can't go from the couch to your best self in a few weeks. Humans are remarkably adaptable, but our physiology is such that our body responds best to small, frequent nudges being applied consistently over a time frame that's measured in months and years if you really want to show you know, significant and lasting gains. So exceeding your current physical capacity too frequently and, um, and too much is certainly, it's the fastest route to a train wreck. So be aware that you, know, you need to have planned for some time to, to get fit. And I'm gonna call this next one, mistake 1.1, which is waiting until the last minute to begin your training. There's really nothing magical about that eight week training plan that you just bought that can achieve the same results as the more expensive 24 week plan, but in half the time. No, it's the 12 week plan might actually be best called the procrastinator plan. It's for that unfortunate person that finds themselves in a position of having only 12 weeks left before their event. If you're, if you're really, if you're not confronted with a short term, a short training time window, then start today. Um, even if it's just with basic strength and basic aerobic conditioning, there's, there's really no such thing as being too fit for an intended goal. So plan ahead, start early, and be consistent. Mistake number two is biting off more than you can chew. This mistake is tied pretty closely to mistake number one. I think that today, like never before, we're subjected to a barrage of information about people doing all sorts of amazing feats in the mountains. Climbers, skiers, mountain runners, they flood the internet with stories and pictures of their exploits. This give rise, gives rise to a phenomenon that in the lexicon of our day goes, goes by the name of FOMO, fear of missing out. This also goes by another name, envy. There's a good reason that envy has for time immemorial been on the list of deadly sins. It doesn't end well for the envious. There's a good deal of both overt and covert competition that accompanies FOMO and envy. This, so this leads to the, the idea that, well, if, if he or she can do it, then so can I mentality. Um, so driven by hubris and ignorance about what it takes to accomplish a certain feat, FOMO can not, not only be unwise, but unhealthy. You know, when you watch an elite athlete in any sport, it's really easy to be lulled into a state of overconfidence. They make it look so effortless. So how can it really be that hard? Well, it is. <laughs> it can be. Um, these mountain sports require not only fitness, but a specialized skill set. It's impossible to acquire any place besides the mountains. As an example of this, you can become very fit hiking up and down the stairs in a tall building or spending hours on a stair machine. 
But moving well in rough alpine terrain and crampons requires balance and agility that you just can't acquire by walking on smooth surfaces. So in short, don't show up at Everest Base Camp never having had crampons on your feet. So mistake number three, training too hard too often. Once again, we have the internet and our kind of our time crunch lifestyle to thank for the all too prevalent notion that you can substitute intensity for duration. There's a billion dollar fitness industry that's hell bent, hell bent on convincing the public that they can reach their peak of fitness by doing two or three 45 minute workouts a week for a couple of months, whether it's in a spin class, boot camp, P90X, Orange Theory, CrossFit, there's a host of these things, um, fitness fads. And so the fact that there's a, a, an audience out there that's just waiting for this kind of stuff, that's music to the ears um, of these companies. But it's also you know, music to the ears of the busy person that is being told that, these, that, that this can be done and it's, there's these magical workouts. And that's really why this, this industry is thriving. Um, think about it. If, if there was a shortcut to fitness, don't you think the pros would be using it? I mean, if you need more convincing as to the folly of that that that, that high intensity all the time approach and why it why it defies the you know physiological reality of the human organism, please just read chapter two of training for the uphill athlete. So while high intensity, I don't want to have this be misconstrued. High intensity training is important for all endurance athletes. However, be aware it is a supplement to not a replacement for a high volume of aerobic base capacity work. So mistake number four, getting greedy or getting worried as your event grows near. This one plays out many, leaving many athletes crushed mentally and physically before their event, they even get to their event. So first the greedy problem. You've attained a new level of fitness through your excellent training. You're seeing significant performance improvements recently. So your fitness is at a new peak. Because you feel so good, the most common res response to this new fitness peak that you're at is to pile on more and harder training because it feels so good. But is it really reasonable to think that this process, these adaptations that have been made can just kind of go on forever? No, it's actually not. Um, and I know it's really difficult to do, but... And this is a tough thing to, to rein your ego in and your enthusiasm in. But if you start seeing PRs in your training, it's time to back off a little bit. Go to a lighter load for a week or so. Don't try pressing for more fitness. You're already kind of balanced on a razor's edge. I mean, I have seen this blow up Olympians in the past. Um, it can happen to anyone. So be cautious when you, again, when you start to feel like Superman or Superwoman, that should be a little warning flag for you going, okay, I've, I've done a great job up to this point, but I need to give my body a break and let it um, absorb this training. So now the worried problem, it's kind of similar, but just with a different cause. So regardless of whether you've been slacking or training perfectly, you suddenly realize that your event is just around the corner and you panic that you're not gonna be ready. A little voice of insecurity whispers to you saying, you've not done enough. And you need to cram in a bunch of last minute training to be sure to top off that fitness gas tank. So this is such a common response to just pile on more work in, in this sort of panic mode. 
Well, both of these things can completely derail of, of well months of well-conditioned and well-conducted training. If you've constructed your own training plans, either from one of our books or you've been following one of our stock training plans, as well as monitoring your fee, your fatigue using the methods that are described in the books or in the, some recent podcasts I've done, then the chances are really good that you've managed your training pretty well and have improved your fitness about as much as is possible in, its, in this current training cycle. That's because, as mentioned earlier in mistake number one, your body can only adapt at a certain and sometimes depressingly slow rate. Training with an intelligent plan that includes monitoring your recovery will result in your adaptations occurring at near their maximum or optimal rate. So you're probably about as fit as you can get given the time constraints that you're operating under. Now, if your anxiety makes you want to pile on a bunch of last minute training, don't do it. It's almost guaranteed to backfire because you're probably already operating right near your potential for adaptations and piling on more at this point is just gonna cause a drop in that near-term near performance. So this drop might be small and it might be short-term like a week or so. But I've also seen this greedy scenario play out where an athlete puts himself into a deep hole that takes several weeks to climb out of. So this can easily ruin a climb or a race. It's so much better to show up at the for your event being a little undertrained but well rested than to show up even a little bit overtrained. So this finally brings me to mistake number five, and that's training through illness or injury. So this one's either a manifestation of the compulsion to train that I mentioned before, or to train a training problem due to a poor under an under poor understanding of training theory. Um, so you, you've got to evaluate the risk reward balance here. Trying to train through illness can easily turn a common cold that would mean a break or a reduction in training load um, for just a few days into a bronchial infection or a sinus infection that lasts, you know, 10 days, two weeks where you're really sick. So same similarly, trying to train through an injury can even be actually, I think, more disruptive on a long-term basis. So by immediately pulling out all the stops to treat something like a soft tissue injury, let's say Achilles tendon strain, rather than trying to limp through it for a few weeks until it becomes so bad that you can't even run a step. That's a good way to lose months of training time. I mean, I have seen these kinds of soft tissue injuries trouble an athlete for literally a year or more. So you're not going to get any kind of toughness award for just, you know, being tough through illness or injury. So be smart, take care of your body. This is doubly important as you age when healing has slowed down quite a bit. So nothing will derail your mountain goals faster and more definitively than injury. So I'm going to end this by a little summary, which is that no training plan can perfectly predict your physical or psychological state three Tuesdays from now when there's an especially taxing workout plan. The best coach in the world is still not omniscient. You're an incredibly complex organism and that we're still a very long way from understanding. So the best way to avoid these kinds of mistakes is to pay attention to the subtle signals your body is sending your brain and to monitor your recovery. I recommend listening to a similarly short podcast I did recently on this subject. It's the EvokeCast number 16 called 
Tips for Assessing Recovery. And I think it's a perfect companion to this one. And I hope these ideas will keep you out of the pit of despair that comes with, you know, overtraining an injury that I've seen so many people fall into. Okay, well, that's it for today. Until next time, um, I will, hopefully my next one, I have uh, some fun guests lined up and we'll be talking about, you won't just have to listen to my, my boring voice by itself. But thanks for, for tuning in and um, catch me next week. Bye.